Boom, what up? Hello, bonjour, and hola, real leaders. This is Kevin Edwards, your host here, and I am so excited. You're tuning in to one of our amazing experiences. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, real, and loaded with inspiration, guaranteed to support your impact journey. So sit back, enjoy the listen, folks share a review afterward, and always keep it real five there we go four three two and one welcome everyone to this episode of the real leaders podcast i'm your host kevin edwards and joining us today folks from tampa florida we've got the founder and ceo of eSmart recycling please give a warm welcome to mr tony salvaggio tony how are you doing today pretty good thank you so much. i love the italian accent on the last name killed it I, I it just came naturally. I don't even know if you are Italian. <laughs> it just, just happened to flow off the tongue. <laughs> oh, I love it. Thank you so much, Kevin, for having me on your show. Um, been looking forward to it. So thank you for the invite. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's not every day we get a, a social entrepreneur like yourself, and we feature a lot of impact, you know, CEOs, obviously. But you know, I think when I was looking in, into a little bit more about eSmart, uh, it really just kind of struck me as uh, like the the dream for a lot of entrepreneurs these days and they're trying to not just solve uh, you know a problem to make money for themselves but also something that the world really needs and so i'm curious to learn tony about your story your origin story i can't find that really anywhere on the internet tell me a little bit about your background and kind of how you fell into this for sure so born and raised in venezuela I spent uh, all of my life there until April 10, April 10 of 2011, which is when I came to the United States on a work visa. I had been here before vacationing, you know, Miami, Orlando, uh, with my family, but it was April 10 when it was the first time that I was living outside of my house, only child, very, very yeah, typical immigrant story. I think most immigrants kind of go through the same journey of you got to leave everything that you know behind because you know that better opportunities for you await in other places. And that was kind of what happened with us. And so how just some context, maybe how old were you when you made that move and um, how'd you get to where you are now? Yeah, so I was straight out of college. I was 24, um, only child. and. I knew this friends of the family had gotten, um, they, they became very wealthy in the scrap metal industry. And we, I was able to get to know them when I was still in Venezuela. And they basically exported what we call in the industry non-ferrous metals, which is your copper, your aluminum, your stainless steel, anything that's not steel. They would put it in containers and they would ship it to Asia where they would sell it. And they would make, they, they would make a lot of money doing that. And they, there was an opportunity to kind of do something similar um, to what they were doing here in the United States. And they offered me the, the chance to be like, hey, we can sponsor your visa if you're willing to come and kind of hustle with us. And I'm like, yeah, for sure. I'll give it a shot. And uh, long story short, I came, his visa for the investor, the, his investor visa got denied, it closed the company. I got hired by another company. And in 2014, I had an opportunity to launch my business. And in my head, it was scrap metal, right? Because when you learn about scrap, Kevin, like your whole world changes. I, I remember that I didn't see an aluminum can anymore. 
Right. <laughs> uh, like if I can get 28 of those, then I can sell them for 80 cents a pound. So you learn that if you can sort trash, you can sell it. Right. And that was for me, it was like you, I started seeing the world through a different lens. So I come to America and it's the best country in the world. And there's so much waste. And I figured there's the niche in the scrap metal industry. I want to go for it. So I quit my job. And I was supposed to start with $150,000 back in the day from friends and family that had committed some money. I quit my job, about to launch, and all hell breaks loose in Venezuela. Protests, typical, you know, developing nation, currency devaluated overnight. Nobody wanted to invest. Everybody was holding on to their money because cash is king. And my mom and dad had like $8,000 that they said, you can have like, we can lend you these $8,000. And that's basically everything I had to start. So your options are limited at that point. So I had the challenge of, man, I have to figure out a way to start my business now with only $8,000. So your options are you, you can get a used truck or use a van and that's about it. <laughs> and so that's what we did. And I couldn't do my scrap metal business anymore. And I remember this friend's that were in the computer recycling business. And they're like, why don't you get into the computer recycling business? And I'm like, what is that? And it's like, well, you know, not a lot of people know what to do with their old computers. So if you recycle them, you can at least get some inventory and you don't really have to pay that much for the inventory because for a lot of people, it's just garbage. They just want to get rid of it, but they know that they can't throw it in the garbage, in the trash. So I'm like, okay. So I started going to these networking events and I started saying, hey, if you have old computers, let us know. We can recycle them for you because at the end of the day, it's all metals, right? And remember that if you sort it, you can sort of sell it. So when you're looking at a computer, if you break it apart, you know, 99% of everything that's in a computer can be recyclable. And I had already learned that if you can sort trash, you can sell it. So it was like a natural evolution. But when I started getting in the industry very early on, this is 2015, um, the industry was very segmented. 90% of the whole industry is you know, it's handled by small mom and pop shops because it's a, it's a low entry barrier industry, but it's also a very difficult type of industry that you can scale. And one of the things that caught my attention when I was picking up these old computers from people was that the computers were not really that old. You know, they were only like three to five years old and I'm picking them up and I'm saying to myself, if I scrap these, this is, this is such a waste. Like this computer is way too good to be scrapping it because I remember that, when I was growing up, my dad bought a computer for the house and we just had the same computer came for like 15 years. It's the same computer that got me through college. The same computer where I applied for my visa was that computer that he bought when I was 12. And we just kept upgrading it and upgrading and putting more memory. And that's, a, that's as far as I knew because I'm not a techie, right? But I knew that if you put more memory and if you change the hard drive, we would have a faster better, more updated computer. That's what I remember from growing up. So I'm looking at all these computers that people are getting ready to throw away. And I'm like, man, this is such a waste. So I, I saved those. I put them in a little trailer. And I remember that I had like 50, 30, 40. I don't even remember how much saved in the trailer that I knew that they were kind of good, better quality computers. But I didn't know what to do with it because this is a volume industry. So it's not the same. If you have only 20, 30 computers, it's not the same as having 500. It's more difficult to get rid of you know, smaller, 
amount. So this one time I'm networking and this nonprofit approaches us. The lady from this nonprofit says, hey, you know, we're working with kids. Why don't you come visit? I go and I visit. I hear the whole story. They were helping about 200 kids every year in this sort of repurpose um, county Rex building. It was like abandoned, basically, but they had some empty space and some desks and a whiteboard so they could provide support to the community. And it was this migrant community, Kevin, that the challenges were so unique because these were Mexican migrants that had come. Their kids were American-born citizens. The kids would speak Spanish, English. The parents, they didn't even speak Spanish. They spoke dialect. So in order for them to, in order for you to be able to reintegrate them into society, first you had to teach them Spanish to then teach them English. And while they were going through that teaching period every month, every, every day, the kids were in this room that was set up to be a computer lab, ironically, and they were just drawing in pieces of paper and crayons, just killing time. And for me, that was another culture shock because this is the best country in the world. How can that happen? How can you have people who don't have something that should be a universal basic right, you know, access to a piece of device that can help you connect online and do homework and all of that? They didn't have it. So they wanted to buy the computers from me. They were like, Tony, can we buy some affordable computers from you? I'm like, I didn't have the heart to sell them the computers. I didn't even know what to sell. So I just said, We'll, we'll put some operating system, we'll set up some computers and we'll give them to you. It just felt like the natural thing to do. I had some computers in the trailer that I didn't know what to do with. I had this nonprofit that was helping kids. They need a computer. It's like, it became this natural thing. When we're setting them up, the parents were crying when they saw that now they had computers in that computer lab. The kids were excited. That day, the Mexican consul happened to be there. We did the ribbon cutting of the computer. Lab. It was such a powerful thing. It was such a powerful thing because mm. this computer was getting ready to be thrown in the garbage and we just picked it up, made sure that it was working. We put it in this place and now parents and kids were crying because it was such a, such a powerful thing. And that sort of became the foundation of the business. The foundation of the business was how can we solve that problem? Because in the community now, the Hillsborough County, which is where we are, to Tampa Bay area, there's about 25,000 families in the area that don't have access to computers or technology or connectivity right here in our own backyard. But we have so many people with old computers and technology and devices that they don't know what to do with them. So if we can recycle it from them, if we can push them through our warehouse and figure out how much money we can make from that by reselling and scrapping it, refurbishing, parting it out, whatever it is that we can do. Then we grab about 30% of all the money that we make from each pickup that we do. And that's our budget that then we reinvest into refurbishing devices, which we then supply with nonprofits in the organization that are fully committed into solving the digital divide gap and the digital literacy gap. And we work with them by giving them access to technology. And then all of the impact that we're able to generate from those efforts, we share back to the same community where we got it from. We share back to the companies that we work with and we help them map out what we call not only their, their environmental footprint, but also their social impact footprint. 
because at the end of the day, it's because of them that we were able to generate money and use that money to refurbish the device and to deploy them into the community. And we've been doing that ever since. Wow. Impressive. Very impactful. Thank you so much for sharing that story, man. It's incredible. I was just locked in the entire time. And, and if I'm hearing you right too, so um, you know, for, for your model, right, the, the revenue can come from either if you can sort it, you can sell it, which I absolutely love. So, so selling it, but also these organizations, these nonprofits are, are they paying or is it in kind donation to the nonprofits? Um, it's, it's usually, model? yeah, it's usually at no cost to the nonprofit. But we, what we try to do is that we try to foster a self-sustainable model, mm. which is the more people you help us get to and help understand the importance of what we're doing, then usually our corporate partners, our sustaining partners, our community collection partners, they're tied to a specific ongoing program, right? So then it guarantees that that program is self-sustainable, is scalable, and um, it has a measurable footprint. So, but we have some corporate partners that just want to support and they, uh, we have like a matching program with a lot of them where they have some budgets like banks have what they call CRA budgets, Community Reinvestment Act money, where they have to deploy them back into the community. And maybe they don't have devices to recycle, but they have a little bit of budget that they can use to purchase devices that then we give to the nonprofits. Got it, made a lot of sense. <laughs> My my brain went too first when you're like oh you know they're they were they were with crayons and and the in the buildings they're kind of drawing around I thought you were gonna make them take apart the computer at first and I was like oh man it's a smart entrepreneur <laughs> but, uh... but but you know what so we started doing this is hilarious right because um, kids are naturally curious about well certain kids are naturally curious about robotics and technology and we set up. Again, in partnership with some nonprofits in the community, we set up what we call deconstruction zones, and then we'll bring devices and kids will just go at it. They'll take it apart just to explore kind of what's inside. And sometimes we have little workshops where you have to take it apart and then you have to assemble it back and it becomes fun. Uh, we haven't necessarily created a way to monetize on that specifically, but it's just fun. It's just fun to bring a whole bunch of hard drives and see kids taking it apart. Well, I get like reinvesting back into the community. Like I could see like what that could do for the community, but also like recruitment uh, and eventually like maybe even those kids like coming to to work for you one day. I mean, that would be an incredible story that you have. I I'm curious though, you started with like four, I think you said like a couple of computers really. How many computers do you currently have like in the inventory? So we have deployed so far a little bit shy of 3000 devices, like wow. 2,900 2987, I think it was the last count. Um, so these 3,000 computers have been deployed to nonprofit organizations. Most of them are in the Bay Area, but we have set up computer labs in five other different countries. And every time we set up a computer lab is, this is not a donation of computers, right? This is a deployment of computers. And the subtle difference is that most people see all of this community approach impact from a philanthropic lens, right? They see it as this is your way of being philanthropic. This is your way of giving back. And I think that there's a small difference when it comes to perspective. For us, this is not philanthropy. 
for us, this is embedded in our business model. We make money because of this for this, right? This is a key value proposition for us because donation implies I'm going to give you a computer, so I'm going to stay for the picture, I'm going to get out, right? Donation implies I can, I can check a mark on how many computers we've donated. But computers donated don't mean anything if you're not using the computers to actually solve the problem. We're looking at digital literacy rates, Kevin, that when you go deep into the community, we haven't even measured them. Like we're so far past the issue of our communities and our kids don't have computers that now we're getting into now when our digital literacy rates are so low, which means that people are not even technically ready to join the workforce because they're being faced with this evolution of processes and models and even technology that five years ago, computer literacy was, can you work on Word, Excel, and PowerPoint? That was it. Right now, that's beyond basic. Mm -hmm. But when you have people that don't even have computers and they don't even know that there's a thing called Microsoft Word, that's crazy in today's age, right? That's, 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 that's worrying because when you look at the data that comes from this one piece of data that for me is mind boggling is one that comes from Gordon Brown. Gordon Brown was former prime minister of the UK, head of the education commission. And he said that by the year 2030, one of the silent threats that we have as a society is that we're gonna have about 1.5 billion adults with no education past elementary school that are not going to have the skills that we need them to perform the jobs that the world needs. So it's a multi-layer problem that, that I think can be easily solved because it's not, a, it's not a matter of access, like we don't need more. We just need to place it in a smart way. We just need to connect the dots a little bit differently, right? But it has nothing to do with altruism, it has nothing to do with philanthropy. It's just, I think, it's a natural evolution of capitalism. Absolutely right, and and that's uh, that's very inherent in in all the 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 uh, uh, impact entrepreneurs that we have here on the show. Right, it's it's all about the intention, right? So you're intentionally trying to take on, you know, this digital divide, this 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 challenge that we face, and your model has this incorporated, and embedded into this. So as you grow and as you scale, you solve that problem even even more. And so whether that's from a, a people lens for recruiting people into your organization, the community you work with, all stakeholders, investors, we're all aligned on this, this core vision. It creates for great camaraderie, recruitment, retention, productivity, performance. Like the, the, the impact is communicated all the way throughout. And at the end of the day, impact to me, Tony, I don't know what your definition is, but mine's just, it's simply just transforming lives. It's providing something that otherwise wouldn't be provided there. And so business owners who are starting to grasp this concept are really forward thinking in terms of their risk reduction in the long term, but curious to learn like from the someone who's doing it, how do you define impact? Um, I think I think you're spot on when when you know when you provide your definition of impact, I think it's it's intention, right? I think is You know, no one, no one tells you that you have to do certain things in order to live your life. 
there's there's not a manifesto of things that you need to do. Everyone kind of does their own thing. And when you're creating your model, I think for us was if there was, for example, a lot of people say, well, we can also donate computers, right? Anybody can donate computers. Anybody can go to Walmart and spend $50,000 and buy X amount of computers and go to a boys and girls club and donate it, right? What is that? What problem is that solving? Oh, well, these kids didn't have access to computers. Now they do. Okay. And then? And then what happens? What are they going to do with the computers? Mm. What happens when the computers break down? Do they have internet in their house? Right? Mm. Who's monitoring what they're doing? How are, mm. we, how are they leveraging technology to be able to meet their goals? How can we use that to break the cycle of poverty? Those are questions that you don't need to ask yourself. Like we didn't need to ask ourselves that question, but simply showing up and donating computers felt like it was empty. Mm -hmm. Felt like we're not really solving any problem, right? We're tooting our own horn, but what really are we doing? So the, the need to not leave any big question without an answer is a conscious decision that we need to make because we know that that's really the differentiator of the model is that if you've really thought it through and you don't have to think it through, but I can help myself, Kevin. That's like, that's, it, it, it doesn't feel like it makes sense unless you think it through. And then when you're thinking it through is that is when all of the other parts of the puzzle start to fall into place. Right. And um, you need to collaborate a lot. So when that the word impact right now for us is um, as we go through this new wave of thinking, it's going to become this trendy word, right? And just very much like sustainability, what the sustainability means, well, it means whatever you decide that it's going to mean for you in your operations. And it's up to you to see how truthful you are with your model. And I think people know. I think consumers know. I think partners and corporate partners know. And I feel like right now we have so much pressure coming from money managers to large companies to provide some form of ESG, environmental, sustainable and governance reporting or metrics of data. And no one has any idea what the heck that means. Mm -hmm. So everyone's kind of creating their own definition of impact that directly relates to their business model. Right. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting space that we're in. And, and what I'm finding from a lot of the CEOs is, and maybe a question, I don't know if you've been approached by private equity or, you know, other investors who really see something going on here, but the challenge is, is like maintaining that, uh, that integrity, right. Those in values, as you continue to grow and scale, it's a, it's certainly a problem that, you know, a lot of people continue to grapple with. When you think about those big questions, I don't even know if you're there yet, Tony. I don't know if this is this, this nonsense right now, but when you're thinking about the like the longevity of your organization and and whether that's equity or whether that's just you know scale, like how do you think you're going to be able to maintain the the core values and 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 this this impact into your business? Man, I think that a, a, like any other business, when 
I don't think we're at a point where, like when we pitch to a bank, they don't care about the community impact. They don't care about how many kids now have access to computers because of you. <laughs> they don't. They don't care um, that you're working on a collective impact model in partnership with so and so and so. The only thing they care is: is your revenue increasing? Is your margin increasing? Are you being profitable? And that's the that's the anchor that no matter what, we have to have a sustainable business first because it's just the way it goes we haven't created another mechanism we haven't created a social impact you know um score that can help you get a social impact credit right to to hire 20 other people so the growth is the more we understand and it's, it's, it's still an evolution even for us right now. The more we understand how are we really solving the problem, how are we making, um, how, where's, our, where's our flow coming from, right? At the end of the day, we need people to recycle. And if people are not recycling with us, then we're not impacting the community in an efficient way. So our, our thought is how can we make recycling fun? How can we make it accessible? How can we make it uh, impactful? How do we go, how, could, how do we convince Kevin to grab that phone and that tablet that you have in your drawer, you've had for two years or three years thinking that you're gonna use it again and you never did sure. and go to one of our community collection partners and recycle with us. Or maybe, you know, Johnny works for a company that has a, uh, an employee recycling program. And now Johnny can take their, you know, iPhone and their old tablet to that program. And making sure that the message translate and it's easy to digest, that's the key of how do we make it better so we grow. And, and if we're very successful at that, I think the rest is going to take care of it by itself, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Com communicating the impact. I mean, studies show right now, I mean, consumers, as you put it earlier, you know, they trust, you know, businesses more than they trust, you know, large, like small businesses, especially more than large corporations or political figures right now or the, or the media. So um, it's really important to maintain those values and uh, communicate that impact. Um, Tony, this is this has been a, a, an awesome discussion. This is what I do for a living, man. I, I, I could have you on. I'm so jealous, day. man. I'm so jealous. <laughs> it looks uh, really fun, you know. And this platforms, these platforms are are needed. So thank you for providing this because I think that there's we need more. We need more safe platforms where we can share thoughts and brainstorms and see how different problems are being solved because each community has their own different flavor of what the problem looks like for them. And there's no such thing as a blanket approach. Uh, so that's why we need this, you know, this, this forum for us to be able to talk to each other. So thank you for, thank you for making this happen. Of course, man, of course, anytime. And, uh, Appreciate you coming on the show. Now, now bring us home, Tony. One last question for you. Question we ask every guest that comes on this program, and that is, what is your definition of a real leader? Man, that is such a good question. Um, I, I think a real leader is a servant leader. And 
a servant leader is someone that puts the needs of the collective align with the needs of the one, someone that can think long-term and understands the power of long-term thinking. Love that for Tony Salvaggio, there it is again. Um, Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, be a servant leader and always keep it real. Thanks, Tony. Thank you so much. Hey, Releaders, thanks again for listening to this amazing episode. And if you're someone like me who goes all the way to the end just to make sure I can extract as much information, education, and inspiration out of every single interview, might I suggest you check out our magazine. If you go online to Releaders.com today, you're going to get the first 30 days for free where you're going to be able to access all of our magazines courses and live events from some of the top thought leaders around the world. All you have to do is go online to realleaders.com and click the subscribe button in the top right corner to get your free 30-day trial right now. Again, that's real-leaders.com. Thanks again for being a real leader and always keep it real.